Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. nothing we can do about the collective stupidity of government other than figure out how to exploit it. This is an economy of one. Your beacon guiding you through the turbulent waters of the political economy. The market no longer is the invisible hand of mutual gain, but the choking grip of political self-interest. Liberty is not given. It must be taken. Let's take it back together today. It's life, liberty, and the pursuit of self-reliance. An economy of one with Gary Rathman, CEO of Private Wealth Consultants and your free market voice of the U.S. This is our country. Greetings and welcome again to an economy one. I am your host, Gary Rathman. I got to tell you, it's great to be back. I was gone for a few weeks. Uh, a little vacation time, a little sharpening of the saw, if you will. But it's good to be back with you. i got a lot to talk about today. Um, a little later in the show, I'll share a few thoughts that I came up with while on vacation that really have not much of anything to do with anything, but feel like sharing them. Also, a little bit later in the show, Ken Klukowski from the First Liberty Institute going to be joining me. Interesting things happened this week on free speech. In fact, a huge thing happened this week on free speech, and not in a good way. So we'll talk to uh, Ken Klukowski about that a little bit later. You know, it's I, I think of this about every week, that uh, I'm getting sick of politics. This last week, it was Donald Trump making some comment about NRA members or people who believe in the Second Amendment. And of course, the press and Hillary jumped all over that, that he's inciting violence and wants to assassinate Hillary and that kind of stuff. And and it's just beyond stupid. So I'm going to kind of ignore that today as as I try to ignore it every day. But uh, let's get into a little bit of economics. Some other very interesting news came out this week that President Obama has been touting for quite a while, and that is that real wages, real hourly compensation, President Obama, according to his numbers, increased 4.2% year over year. And that's a big deal, if it was true. But the Department of uh, Bureau of Labor Statistics came out and said, well, you know what, we're going to revise those numbers Instead of plus 4.2% year over year, it's really negative 0.4%. So that's a 4.6% swing in a year. And now, wouldn't, wouldn't you and I uh, both love to revise numbers seven, eight months after the fact? Well, you know what? We, we said it was up 4.2, but it's really down 0.4. A lot of people made decisions and drew conclusions about the economy and their investing 
and their future based on those numbers. And now they've been revised to the tune of a tenfold change, and not in a good way. 4.2 positive, 2.4 negatives. Now that's a big, big swing. I'm waiting to see how uh, President Obama spins that, although I haven't seen much of anything uh, this week mentioned in the mainstream media about this. So it'll probably just simply be ignored. Very few people read these kind of reports. Uh, I do because I got nothing else to do. But uh, that's a big move, and I'll bet they ignore it. In addition this week, uh, a big study came out that said uh, uh, one in six or one in seven Americans uh, have a negative net worth. And these kind of go hand in hand. If you're not making enough money, uh, you're going in the wrong direction. But it, it was interesting, and I, and I dug into these numbers a little bit for you. You know, there's really two ways in this country to uh, be poor. And the first is just simply not earning very much money. And about, uh, about 15% of Americans earn below the national poverty level. Now, that doesn't mean they're broke. Um, I have seen many people that didn't earn a lot of money throughout the year, but are actually in pretty good shape financially. I've said for a long time, it's not what you make, it's what you keep. But uh, about 15% of the, the population, about 47 million people live below the poverty line. Now, this is according to the Census Bureau. So uh, given the, the accuracy of uh, statistics and numbers coming out of the federal government, we'll, we'll take it with a grain of salt. But for the, the sake of this discussion, we'll assume it's correct. The second way of being poor in this country is to uh, have a lot of debt and what I call a lot of bad debt. But uh, these are people with uh, pretty good jobs. Uh, pretty good income, but they got a lot of debt, a lot of debt, credit cards, uh, student loans, mortgages. Um, and, and when you add up all their assets, all their cash, that kind of stuff, and you subtract out all their debt, you have a negative number. You have a negative net worth. And once again, doesn't mean they're living a bad life. It just means they have a negative number net worth. Now, overall, in the United States, households have a little over $12 trillion in debt. Now, this is up yeah, about 10% from 2013, but it's below the 2008 peak before the, the big crash in, in real estate. And a lot of it, most of it is geared toward credit card debt and student loans. Student loans between 2008 and 2016, student debt went from $590 billion to $1.26 trillion in just eight years. Eight years, it doubled. And that, coupled with credit cards, is 
a major uh, factor in people having negative net worth. Of the people that have positive net worth, there's a lot of characteristics around them. Um, most of them have a college degree. Uh, one in eight have a graduate degree. They have a little bit higher income, as you would expect. And they're a little bit older. People with negative income, the average age is 43. Uh, negative net worth, rather. Positive net worth, the average age is 51. So uh, getting older will not make you richer, necessarily, if only that were true. Um, but those are the characteristics that revolve around that. But it's of the negative net worth people, the vast majority of them, by the way, it's, it's about 14% of the population, so about one in seven, the vast majority of them have a lot of money out on credit cards, generally over $10,000, and significant student loans. So those are the two things. Now, I'm somewhat hesitant to bring that up because the next thing you know, politicians will be looking at those two things and wanting to fix it. We've already seen the Democrat uh, candidate want to eliminate or forgive student loans. Bernie Sanders wanted to make all college free. Well, nothing's free. We know that. But there are characteristics that um, people have that keep them broke or keep them from accumulating and building wealth versus the people who generally are able to increase their wealth year over year over year. And we can't blame it on the economy. Um, not entirely on the economy anyway. It, uh, it is affected by economic situations, but more on how people react to the economic situation than it is the economic situation in and of itself. Up next, Ken Klukowski is a senior counselor and director of strategic affairs for First Liberty Institute. Going to be joining me. Very important aspect of free speech change this week. I'll talk about that next. Gary Rathbun, an economy of one. To an economy of one with Gary Rathbun. Joining me now is Ken Klukowski. He's a senior counsel and director of strategic affairs for First Liberty Institute, specializing in cases involving the First Amendment and freedom of belief and expression. Ken, welcome to an economy of one. It's great to be with you. Thanks for having me. Oh, I appreciate you taking the time and coming with us. I wanted to talk to you. I, I told my producer to give you a call. I read a couple articles in the last oh, day or so about this new ethics rule that the uh, American Bar Association is putting out. 
And uh, your name was brought up in, in several articles and, and quoted and that kind of stuff. So we wanted to give you a call. Most of my listeners, I haven't talked about this. I've just teased them that uh, I think it's very, very, very important. Give us your impression of this new ethics rule and kind of describe what it is for us. Well, that's right. Uh, the American Bar Association has Monday night adopted a model rule 8.4, which makes it a legal ethics violation, which means it's something for which you could lose your law license mm-hmm. as a lawyer, uh, to show bias or discrimination on the basis of, and then it gives a whole bunch of categories, not just race and sex, but also sexual orientation, gender identity, and socioeconomic status. Now, they go on then in their official comments to say that this rule will not be construed to prevent an attorney from being able to take on a client and represent that client. Mm -hmm. However, uh, the... The attorney's conduct, verbal conduct, meaning any words that come out of his mouth, and his business or social activities can be cited as evidence of a forbidden discriminatory bias. So social activities, he's just out to dinner with friends, and they're uh, talking about with friends. gay marriage or something, and he expresses an opinion, and boom, he's in an ethical problem. Or, or, or he could say that uh, he, he thinks this Black Lives Matter movement, that these protests are not good for law enforcement, that could be cited as race discrimination. He could say that he opposes amnesty for illegal aliens, that could be both race discrimination and socioeconomic discrimination. Uh, or if he is a member of a Southern Baptist church and is mm-hmm. teaching Sunday school and something comes up about marriage or sexuality, or if he raises abortion, if he takes a pro-life position, someone could say that that's, uh, that, that is discriminating on the basis of sexual orientation or gender identity, or in the case for abortion, discriminating on the basis of sex or so discriminating against women. Teaching a Sunday school class on one of these moral issues could be made evidence against him before the state's highest court saying that his law license needs to be revoked and he needs to be placed under a lifetime ban from earning a living as a lawyer. That's incredible. Now, that being said, the ABA passed this rule. Do the state bar associations now have to approve it, or is it kind of rubber stamped Great through? Question. The ABA is a private organization. Less than one-third of America's 1.3 million lawyers belong to the ABA. Uh, Like countless others, I am not an ABA member because of the extreme liberal bias of that private organization. However, it steps into the government in two critical ways. One is that every state – the bar is a department of each state's highest court, its Supreme Mm -hmm. Court. It's Mm -hmm. it's the court – it's the state's high court that decides who can practice law in that state. They all have ethics rules. Many states adopt any ABA model ethics rule word for word. They just rubber stamp it. Those that don't fashion their rules off of the ABA model rules. So first of all, uh, this – this rule being adopted all but guarantees that at least some states, a number of states, will adopt it as a legally binding requirement for every attorney within the borders of that state. Second, in, in all but a handful of states, 
in order to be qualified to sit and take the bar exam in that state, you must, among other things, have a law degree from an ABA-accredited law school. Mm. One of the requirements that the ABA requires for a school to be accredited is they have to teach an ABA-approved legal ethics class. And since the ethics rules vary from state to state, every law school nationwide in that ethics class, they're teaching the ABA model rules, which will now include Rule 8.4. Ken, we got about a minute or so left. Uh, in, in thinking about this and thinking how things have gone in, in recent years in this country and, and how the natural evolution of, of laws and, and stupidity goes through our society, I started to think about, well, if this goes through and everybody adopts it, what's the next profession whose license could be threatened because of what they say, what they believe in their own personal life. I mean, isn't this just like the first step of a very, very slippery slope? It is. It reminds me, when I was in Israel at uh, the Yad Vashem, the Holocaust Memorial, uh, Mm -hmm. uh, museum, I remember a quote there from a pastor where he said, when they went after the socialists, I did not speak out because I was not a socialist gives a couple other categories, and then it says, when they came for the Jews, I did not speak out because I am not a Jew. Mm-hmm. When they came for me, there was no one left to speak out for me. Right. Uh, right. And it is, you're absolutely right that when you're dealing with a fascist mentality, with someone who says that they want to purge a whole segment of our population from economically productive society, there is no limiting principle. You know, and, and and it's interesting because technically, once again, you take it to the extreme, which is not beyond the realm of possibility anymore. We all have a driver's license. That's a license from the federal government. And, you know, the day is coming when, you know, you might have to hold up your hand and take an oath at the DMV to get your driver's license, you know. So, is, uh, yeah, the, the right to interstate travel is right. a constitutional right, but the right to be able to use a powerful machine on the roads as the means to engage in travel, right. you're right. That's a privilege that's granted by the government, and they can start to impose conditions. I mean, who knows who where knows? it would end. But right. The bottom line is it's antithetical to our free society. State Supreme Courts need to reject this rule, and the American people need to reject this kind of censorship that tries to discriminate against everyone's First Amendment rights. Well, Ken, I really appreciate you coming on in such short notice and and giving us uh, your expertise and and time on this. Like I said, you're quoted all over the place. You do a lot of writing and and have been in many law review articles and and Wall Street Journal, that kind of stuff. So I really appreciate appreciate your time. kind words so much. Absolutely. Your listeners, again, can check out all the details on this stuff at firstliberty.org. Because the truth is stranger than fiction here. You can't make this stuff up. And yeah. you can't believe this is happening in this country. But at firstliberty.org, you'll see all the documents there showing you exactly what's going on. Excellent. We'll put that up on our website. And uh, hopefully we can tap you on the shoulder again soon and, and continue our conversation. Thanks for having me. God bless. Thank you. Coming up next, Dr. Ron Paul. He's America's leading voice for liberty, prosperity, and peace. Former member of the U.S. House of Representatives. Three-time presidential candidate. Going to be talking to him next. I can't wait for that. Gary Rathbun, an economy of one.
back to An Economy of One with Gary Rathbun. Joining me now, I've been looking forward to this all day long, Dr. Ron Paul, considered by many as America's leading voice for liberty, prosperity, and peace. He's a former member of the U.S. House of Representatives and three-time presidential candidate. He's written many books during his tenure in Congress. Dr. Paul never voted for legislation unless the proposed measure was expressly authorized by the Constitution. Nowadays, you can find his writing and podcasts at www.ronpaullibertyreport.com. Dr. Paul, welcome back to An Economy of One. Thank you. Good to be with you. I uh, appreciate you taking the time with us. I got uh, so many things I'd like to touch base with you on, but I think I'll start with uh, today was one of those days where the uh, Federal Reserve met and uh, Chairman Yellen came out with a statement a little later in the day and decided not to raise interest rates and and set our expect, uh, expectations for uh, December. You and I have always been on the same page about uh, let's get rid of the Federal Reserve and at the very <laughs> least let's audit the Federal Reserve. Um, talk a little bit about the Federal Reserve's actions and, and how it's grown over the years and, and how it really uh, driving the market and, and messing up the, the free market economy a little bit. Well, it's exactly the opposite of free market economy. One of the most important things in a free market uh, to make it function are, are freedom from price controls. And uh, the Fed is controlling the price of money, which is the interest rates, and it's very devastating. And it makes it so that savers and spenders and investors all make mistakes. Uh, sometimes they're lucky and they don't, but sometimes things go haywire and you get housing bubbles and NASDAQ bubbles and bond bubbles, which we're going through now. And the market it says you have to correct it, and they, the, the political system doesn't want you to correct it because, uh, you know, it, it hurts. So they always go back to try and rescue the weakness in the economy by more inflation and spending, and that's what we went through in 08 and 09, but it didn't do any good, and the bubble's bigger than ever, and it's, it's a monopoly is, is the big problem, and there's, no, and there's no need for it. It's trying to manage an entire economy through monetary manipulation and all that can do is make it much worse. You know, Adam Smith talked about the invisible hand, which means everybody's out there doing things. This is this is the iron fist of totalitarianism. <laughs> they come up and say, we're going to do it, and we're going to spread the money out, and we'll spend it on the military and the welfare state and all the big banks and all the corporations. So it's a terrible, terrible system. You know, uh, I mean, you, you're, you're as aware as, as uh, any of us about the balance sheet uh, of the the Federal Reserve and how they they've bought up tons and tons of debt from uh, the federal government. Uh, you mentioned in one of your columns about uh, the possibility in the future of them buying private assets. Now, uh, what yeah. what would that do to us? Well, on the short run, you know, people say, hey, this is great. They might just go and buy more stocks. But they're they're doing that probably indirectly because every time they, you know, lower interest rates and they have to buy up some debt, they manipulate. And this is why we want an audit of the Fed because they can pass out money. They can prop up stock markets. 
they don't buy directly. If they announce, which maybe they will someday that they buy directly, they sort of do it indirectly now. Mm. But it's amazing that uh, the original Federal Reserve Act in 1913 that gave them this authority to do it, they never – I guess it was so uh, so scary to start off that way that they didn't do it. Uh, but uh, I don't think they'll have to do a whole lot to get the authority because I'm, I'm sure that they bought a lot of stuff indirectly, you know, in 08 and 09 because $17 trillion were changing hands among the central bankers and uh, foreign governments, and, uh, and, and they can always find their friends to prop up something. But the world's interest now is to prop up the dollar because it's a reserve currency, and if the dollar goes down and really goes down and people give up on it, uh, that's uh, the ball game's over for the worldwide economy, and, and we've never quite faced the uh, danger that we're facing today. I mean, this whole idea of negative interest rates never existed in the history of re- in the recorded history. Right. So we're dealing with something something new. It's great distortion, and and they have to keep this lie going for as long as possible. So that's why the announcements by the Fed on a database is like a day to day basis, like today, is always going to be the, the same thing. Trying to reassure people, everybody knew they weren't going to raise interest rates, and mm-hmm. I rather doubt that you, you know that they can even handle a quarter percent right. interest rate, and or, or the stock market might crash. This is totally mismanaged economy, and of course the people are getting poorer, the middle class is getting wiped out, and uh, the very wealthy benefit from this, and and that's what it's designed for. They may the planners may well know exactly what we talk about and we're concerned about, and they're just lining up their ducks to be in charge after the calamity comes. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, for a long time, we've uh, our currency has been a fiat currency, not really backed by anything other than the full faith and credit uh, of the American government. You also said in one of your your columns that this could be. I mean, we're on the path to to uh, ending. Uh, fiat currency. Now, are, are you talking about going cashless, or are you talking about maybe a currency uh, being forced to be backed by something of value? Well, I'm thinking that there'll have to be monetary reform, and you'll have to back the dollar uh, with something. And uh, that will come when confidence is lost. The, the one thing, this is not a wild prediction, because if you look at history, fiat money isn't something new. There was a time when they diluted the metals or they clipped the coins, and then we learn how to just print paper money, and then we learn how to use the computer, and it's become uh, more massive. But no matter how they've designed the fiat system, it always fails. So this one, this one will fail, and I think we can see signs of it already because people aren't earning any interest, and they're going into holding cash, and the government wants to control just like in the third they went to gold, and they took the gold from the people. So it, it is ending. The Chinese aren't buying our debt as much as they used to. They're starting to spend those dollars, and they come and buy properties here. And I think uh, I think they know that they're getting a bad deal. We print money. We buy these goods at a bargain price, and then they churn that money back here and buy up our debt. And, of course, jobs go overseas. And, but the candidates who say it's all China's fault, uh, I think they're off track because it's our uh, living beyond our means and, and being uh, in a position where we issue the uh, the uh, reserve currency in the world 
has given us this privilege to live way beyond our means, and it's impossible to keep doing this. If this were the case, Americans would never have to work again. You know, you would just keep printing money, and everybody knows that will end. But I think we're getting very close to that, and we see the early signs of that cracking. You know, you you mentioned that uh, people blame China and and that kind of stuff, and that leads into the kind of the second subject I want to touch base with you on. And you know, for the last eight years, uh, many people have complained about President Obama step overstepping his bounds and and uh, not doing things constitutionally. And you make a great point in uh, one of your essays that uh, all presidents or many presidents have used executive orders, but it's really Congress that allows all this to to happen. It's not just the president grabbing power and running. Uh, Congress is is uh, really supporting expanding the the power yeah. of the president for for a long time. And uh, you might say it's all Congress's fault, but it's also the people's fault too. Even though they might not know exactly how it works. Uh, the, the people have learned to be dependent on government. Just think of the expansion of the welfare state and student loans and food stamps and everything else. So the people become dependent on it, think they have a right to this, and uh, and yet they don't have a right to it, and they, um, they're, they're responsible too. But the Congress is very derelict, whether it comes to declaring war or not declaring war and allow the president to do it and then Fine, give them the finances for it, executive orders. There are some executive orders that are actually legal, uh, but they're not They're not designed for a president like we have now who says to the Congress, well, pass this, uh, you know, environmental legislation. If you don't, I'll just write an executive order. And he does it, and the Congress doesn't say anything. Yeah. So the uh, imperial president has been endorsed by, by the Congress. I remember when we were leading up to the Iraq war, I was trying to stop it, so uh, I had a declaration of independence introduced and a declaration of war introduced, and I tried to make the point that this is what you should do if, if you want to. And they said, well, we don't we don't follow that part of the Constitution anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and and they said, we need to give this authority to the president. That was Bush at the time, because he needs to make these decisions. They're important decisions. And this would, it's an anathema to what the founders thought. They wanted the king or the executive not to be able to go to war without the people, you know, being engaged since they have to pay for it, both in life and limb. And, and, uh, and, and yet uh, right now it, it's never never declared anymore, and the presidents get to do it, and, and, the, and even the people don't get complain too much. Yeah. Uh, although I think it has to do with war propaganda. The war propaganda machine is more powerful. I think when the people know the truth about what's going on, I think they would always vote for people. Yeah, I, I think you're right. And it's interesting because most recently or somewhat recently, I've heard people come out and say, well, the Constitution is outdated. Uh, it doesn't apply to life uh, like we have it now. And I learned something many, many, many years ago in college in an Old Testament studies class I took because I asked the question being 17 and knowing everything and being smarter than my professor. Do these uh, prophets, do they really... Uh, have that much wisdom, or are we overreading uh, into what they wrote? And uh, the professor uh, proceeded to spend 20 minutes and and uh, really dress me down and educate me. And I think it's the same with the founding fathers. I mean, just because it was 200 years ago, uh, they were very smart, wise people 
that put together our Constitution, and I think it applies more today probably than it did 200 years ago. Yeah, and uh, the problems we have today is we don't follow it, but they also made the provision that times may change, and you can amend the Constitution. They just didn't want to amend the Constitution by uh, the president just sitting doing what, whatever he wants. Right. But there are great truths are that because something is old might mean it's very good. You know, the mm-hmm. thou shalt not kill and steal and rob people, you know, that that's, um, those are pretty good rules to live by, and uh, and and so you don't say, well, we we reject the Ten Commandments because they're old, or we reject the Bill of Rights, uh, you know, our privacy rights and uh, and property rights. Uh, we reject them because they're old. Well, that's what the left, that's what the socialist authoritarians want. Right. But just because it's old uh, doesn't mean it. But I think there's there's time you have to think about our 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 conditions, and and you might have to change things, but it should be changed very slowly, and obviously that frustrates the people who get uh, you, who want to take charge and, and run roughshod over everybody else. I, I'm talking with former congressman and three-time presidential candidate Dr. Ron Paul. Uh, Ron, this has been a real treat for me. I know your time is, is uh, uh, very short, and a lot of people uh, uh, tugging on your, your sleeve. i got about a minute left. I, I want to ask you real quick, fair or not fair, uh, on this question, uh, but you you also write a lot about the Affordable Care Act and Obamacare, and that's kind of falling apart. Uh, real real briefly, where where do you see that going in the next year or two? Is Obamacare going to go away, and and we're going to get back to a, a private system completely, or are we going to go to a a, a one payer system where the we're all on Medicare regardless? Well, I think they'll probably not go to the one-payer system. Okay. Uh, I don't think we're going to go to the free market, and I don't think we're going to keep uh, Obamacare. <laughs> uh, one one good thing that could happen in the major part of Obamacare that is so bad is the mandate, saying that mm-hmm. if you and I want to go someplace else, uh, that we, we can't do it. And the doctor is handicapped because he's, he's hindered as well. So I think getting rid of the mandate and anything, I mean, we should encourage the transition, you know, away from it, you know, the health credits and, and, and getting benefits in this manner or changing the rules on selling and medical insurance across borders. There's a lot of things that could be done. Hopefully that will be done. But uh, the, people just get very nervous when you talk about the free market in, right. in medicine. But when I first got out of medical school in the early 60s, there was no Medicare or Medicaid. And I worked at charity hospitals, and mm-hmm. people got got taken care of, you know, and prices were very low. But it, it, it's it's pretty bad right now. And the biggest thing that you'd have to work to keep if you want decent medicine is try to restore this whole principle of the doctor-patient relationship. There's not much left there. The way it's it's controlled now by computers, uh, every word you write down about a patient and every pill you give them, uh, the government is watching it to see if the patient's being treated right and making sure the doctor's over, not over-prescribing and, and this sort of thing. It's, a, it's just a horror. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Dr. Paul, th- th- this is, I, I, I can't tell you, it's it been a true honor for me. Uh, you're a great American. I read all your stuff. I follow your work. And I really appreciate what you do for all of us here. And I hope we can tap you on the shoulder again soon. Okay. Nice to be with you today. Thank you, sir. An Economy of One with Gary Rathbun.
back to An Economy of One with Gary Rathbun. You know, me and political correctness, um, I, I don't like it. But if it has to happen in the world, it couldn't happen to a better institution than Berkeley. University of California, Berkeley. Okay. Now, University of California, Berkeley, what'd they do? They put online courses and lectures for free for anybody who wants to to uh, uh, log on and read the courses or hear the lectures. Okay? You with me, Josh? Okay. Have you seen this story? No, okay. I have not. Okay. So you would think that that would be a good thing. The the, the uh, online courses, uh, perfectly accessible to the entire student body. Okay. Now, University of California, Berkeley is located where? That would be in Berkeley? California. Bingo. The West okay. Coast. West Coast. So they get a letter from the Department of Justice. Okay. Apparently, two people, both members of the National Association for the Deaf, oh. they work at, uh, and forgive me, Gallaudet University, a school for the deaf in Washington, D.C. They have nothing to do with Berkeley, but they tried to watch some of the videos posted online, but found they were unable to comprehend them. So they filed suit and come to find out that posting courses online does not comply with the American with Disabilities Act. Come on. So they need subtitles or somebody in the corner giving sign language for every course. Every course. That's why it's radio, Josh, and not TV right there. There you go. There's your sign language. (laughs) What? Can you believe that? Come on. So what's Berkeley going to do? They have two choices. Get compliant with the Americans with Disability Act, which costs money, or take all the courses down so nobody gets them. And they're going to take the courses down so nobody gets them. They're going to take the courses down so nobody gets them. No good deed goes unpunished. No, no, well, that's not even a good deed. Well, well yeah, well, I, I mean, see you know what you're saying. Good yeah. deed from Berkeley. You know? Absolutely, yeah. Yep. You know what I mean? Like, they're just, hey, look, this is cool. Here you go. Nope. Sorry. Sorry. Not happening. So that that's the state of our country. And, you know, once again, it, one of the dumbest things I've ever seen couldn't happen to a better institution. <laughs> you know? I mean, University of California, Berkeley, uh, hard for me to feel empathetic for them. Hard for me to feel empathetic. But this political correctness, and I think this is partially why Donald Trump is uh, where he is. Because people are sick of this. Sick of it. Okay. So he gives a speech in Toledo. What does CNN say? Ugh. Trump used charity money to settle legal disputes. Okay, really, CNN? That's all you got? 
and a five-day countdown? Really? That's it, my friends? Well, that and Don King. And Don King. I like Don King. Uh, his hair, uh, I was telling you off air, is described by Kathleen Madigan as, what do you do, go to the barber and say, I want my hair to look like I'm falling out of a <laughs> tall building? That's brilliant. That is brilliant. You know, love it. But uh, anyway, I want you to have a great day. Be an individual. Be self-reliant. Be an economy of one. I'm Gary Rathman. We'll see you next time. This is our country. The views expressed on this program do not necessarily reflect the views of this station. Listeners should consult their own financial advisors or conduct their own due diligence before making any financial decisions. Private Wealth Consultants is an SEC-registered investment advisor. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.